Welcome to the Mystic Access Podcast, where the magic is in learning. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mystic Access Podcast for December 28th, 2021, otherwise known as the final podcast of the year. He's Chris. She's Kim. And we have a couple of exciting things to share with you today. One is a castle interview to end of the year with somebody I think you're going to find really interesting. The other is an interesting maintenance announcement about the Mystic Access checkout process. Yes, for a couple of few years now, we've had a small minority complain that the checkout process was very difficult. And while it wasn't really that difficult in my opinion of course i use it all the time it was a heck of a lot cluttered and that's unfortunate but that's how it was it was always cluttered there was a lot of stuff on that checkout page and we're talking about the payment page so what we ended up doing which i've been talking about this for a while but then we both finally agreed is what's called a multi-step checkout process what that does is it prompts you for certain things like shipping address and that's all you see billing that's all you see your summary maybe that's all you see on the page and you proceed to the next step and what's really nice about this specific way that we're doing it now is that when you go to the next step it's really more of a modal dialogue if you will but it drops the stuff down and it places your cursor where you need it to be And it also doesn't show fields that are not required by default. So it doesn't pop those out. For example, your house street and house number might be there, but the second line might not be there because it's not required. So before I confuse you even more, what we're going to do is I'm sitting in my cart and I've got a product in my cart and I'm not logged in. So I'm not logged into my account and I want to show you something really quickly so I'm just gonna down arrow list of four items same page link skip to main same page link skip to shopping cart same page link skip to main content same page link skip to footer list end visited link graphic mystic access there's our logo visited link mystic access where the magic primary menu navigation region list of ten items visited link home so here's our main menu and we would browse this entire page see what's in our cart and then we can proceed to checkout. So I'm going to just search for the proceed to checkout link. JAWS find dialog. Find what? P-O-C. Enter. Visited link proceed to checkout. Now and wait. So before you do that, that says proceed to checkout. What happens if you go down from there? Visited link continue shopping. Empty cart button. Heading level 3 save for later 0 products. No products in save list. Same page link skip back to navigation. Article end. Main region end. Heading level 4 where the magic is in learning. Visited link about us. Vertical bar. Link FAQ. These are our footer links. We're showing you that for a reason. Link testimonials. Vertical bar. So I'm going to go back up because we go through all our menus and stuff like that. We don't need to do that right now. To the proceed to checkout. Link FAQ. Visited heading level 4 where the magic main read article. Same page link skip back. No products in heading empty cart button. Visited link continue shopping. Visited link proceed to checkout. So we're going to proceed to checkout. Enter. Loading page. Still loading. Cart Mystic Access. Main region. Proceed to checkout link. Cart Mystic Access. Visited link proceed. So now that the 
checkout page is actually loaded, I'm going to go back to the top. Checkout Mystic Access. So there's the top of the page. Same page link skip to content. Visited link graphic Mystic Access. There's our logo. Main region. Heading level 1 checkout. Step 1 of 3. List of 3 items. Visited link 1. Shopping cart. Visited link 2. Checkout. 3. Order completed. List end. Heading level 2 checkout. And those Empty are visited because you're now on the checkout page and you've already been in the cart. That's why those are visited links. Right. Now Got what was that button we just passed? Empty cart button. Empty Our cart. Empty cart button. Got a gift card from a loved one? Link use it here. Heading level 2 express checkout. Or heading level 2 contact. So it's called contact. Your contact information. And you can't so, do express checkout here because you're not logged into anything. There's nothing right. to express checkout. It doesn't know who you are. Right. So we're going to... Already have an account? Login button. Login eventually. But I want to go down the page and show you what we have here. Or continue checkout below. And it says either log in or continue the checkout below. So if you have an account, you log in. If you don't have an account, you never ordered something from us, you would continue the checkout process. Heading level 3, my contact. So here's a heading level 3. It's called my contact, which is not my contact, but your contact <laughs> information. Complete your order and earn 23 magic beans for a discount on a future purchase. Now, if you're you new, star. a magic bean allows you to essentially get free money, free virtual money, that you can spend here at Mystic Access. So depending on what you order and how much it costs, that will depend on how many magic beans you get. Required invalid entry edit. Email address star. So here's where you type in your email address. Required invalid entry edit. Actually, right here. And I'm just going down. Create account password star. Here's create account password. Required invalid entry password edit. And there's the password you put and in And the your star password. means that it is required. Right. Proceed to billing button. And there's proceed to billing. And it's a nice little happy button. But because I'm an existing customer, I'm going to go up to the login button. But right now, let's continue to hit the down arrow key. Heading level 3 order summary. Visited link edit cart. You can actually edit the cart, which you couldn't do at the actual checkout process, which is really cool. Table with two columns and five rows. Product. Subtotal. Placeholder graphic. Acquainting yourself with Android getting started with an Android device times one. $55.20. Subtotal. $55.20. Tax. $0.00. Total. $55.20. Table end. Main region end. We use cookies on our website to give you the most relevant experience by remembering your preferences and repeat visits. By consent to the use of all the cookies. However, you may visit cookie settings to provide a controlled consent. Cookie settings button. Accept all button. Accept all button. Accept all button. And that is the entire checkout page. No footer links. No menu at the top. Very clean and concise. The only thing down there is the cookie banner. Right. Which is really nice. So, if I were to proceed to checkout, or proceed to billing, and I was a new user, the screen reader actually puts you in the first place that you need to be, which would be your first name, your last name, and that stuff. I think we because should see that. You want to see that? Yeah, let's show. Okay, so I need to actually go and put an email address in here. Create account. Email address required. Edit required invalid entry. Order number and receipt will be sent to this email address. And you're told that which is cool. Order number and receipt will be sent to this email address. Enter. Check out Miss C-H-R-I-S at M-A-G-I-C-C-S-T-L-E period O-N-L-I-N-E 
Email address required edit required. Chris at magiccastle.online order number and receipt will be sent to this email address. Order number and receipt will be sent. I just hit control to silence the speech, but I'm going to tab. Create account password required. Star, 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 star. No, Create gonna... account password required. Password edit required. Tab again. Proceed to billing button. And there's proceed to billing. So if I press enter here. Enter. Billing region. First name required. Edit required. Invalid entry. That's cool. So I can type in my first name. Last name required. Edit required. Invalid Last entry. Name. Add company name. Same page link. You see how it says add company name? Company name is not required. But if I wanted to add a company name, I could press enter here. Enter. Same page link. Company name optional edit. And it tells you that's optional. Right. So I could type in my company name. M-A-I-C space A-C-E-S. And then we're tab. Country slash region combo box. United States U.S. Now. Treat it as required edit required invalid entry. House number and street name. House number and street name. Go Remember on. how our states used to be? <laughs> You'll see a difference here. Yes. It's still the same. The states are still the same. That hasn't changed. We also did remove the Google search because that was confusing people as well, where you could start typing in a person's house number and street name and have it automatically fill in those options. We're just goes at... to show this just because we like it doesn't necessarily mean you guys like it. And you're the ones who are shopping here. Right. There is an option that I'm currently working on to figure out how it's going to work, where from this house name field, you could actually start typing the house and then down arrow and press enter on it and it would auto fill. But that other strict edit box for that situation and then it would refresh and all that stuff, that's gone. So this makes it a little bit easier for you to be able to just continue on your merry way. Now, if I tab again. Add apartment, unit, building, floor, etc. Same page link. So again, this is a link. If I press enter on this link, it will open that option. But since I don't care, and I'm not going to accidentally type something into the second line field because it's closed. It's gone. Town slash city required edit required invalid entry. And the town and city and all that is required. So state is just a combo box. Yes, just like it used to be. You can start typing in the combo box you can write a couple characters. It's not first letter, like N for New York, N for North Carolina, N for New Hampshire. You would type what you want. That has not changed. But all this other stuff has changed. And if I continue to tab through. State combo box. There's state. Zip code required. Yep. Phone required. Edit required. Invalid entry. Events checkbox not checked. There's our newsletter events. Mystic access news checkbox not checked. Add order notes button. And I can even add order notes. So again, it's a button. So it's not an edit field. If I want to add order notes, you press enter on this button. The field comes down. You type in your notes. You continue on with your merry way. I'm going to press tab again. Combo box. Month. There's birthday. Combo box. Day. Proceed to payment button. See how it's really, really nice? Proceed to payment. So I'm going to proceed to the payment option. And then I could continue on with the rest of my checkout process and notice that for a lot of these it takes you out of focus mode forms mode whatever your screen reader calls it so right. you can arrow through and find out so if you weren't sure what the heck those check boxes for events and news were or that combo box for birthday 
you can read about it just using your arrow keys. That should work. And if for whatever reason your screen reader doesn't automatically do it and you've typed something, then you would have to turn on and off your virtual cursor, browse mode, what have you. So let's go back and show you the login version instead. I hope this works. Check out Mystic Access. So I'm at the top of the page. I'm going to actually hit the login button. Empty card button. Change. My contact button. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so we just figured something out. I can't log in because I've already put a fake email address in and a fake password in. So we had to clear cookies because the system was remembering the email address. And then when I changed it, it thought it was a new account. So I decided to clear the cookies. I've re-added the product to the cart and we're going to search again for the proceed to checkout link. JAWS find dialog. Oh, see, enter. Visited link proceed to checkout. Loading page. Cart Mystic Access. Main region. Proceed to checkout link. Cart Mystic Access. Visited link proceed to checkout. Loading complete. Heading level 3 my contact. Or continue checkout below. Login button. So I'm going to press enter on the login button. Enter. Checkout Mystic Access and 17 more pages personal Microsoft Edge dialog. Checkout Mystic Access and 17 more pages personal Microsoft Edge dialog. So now I'm going to down arrow. Sign into your account. So sign into my account. Username or email star. Edit. Password star. Password edit. And here's where you're going to see and fill out the CAPTCHA. Dialog. Remember me. Login button. Link lost your password. And there's a lost your password. So if you forgot your password, you can retrieve it that way. So I'm going to go up to the edit box for my username. Log dialog. Pa password star. Edit. Username edit. Enter. Username or email star edit. Now I'm going to bring up my password manager. Alt control backslash. Unlock one password. One password is locked. Enter your master password. Password edit. Password edit. Making sure it's you unlock one password. Pin password edit. So I'm going to type in my pin. Star star. Title is. Windows security. Item list list box. Mystic access. So I'm going to select my name from the list. Enter. Check out Mystic Access and 17 more pages personal Microsoft Edge dialog. Loading page. Password star edit. Bullet bullet bullet. Still loading. Check out Mystic Access. Check out Mystic Access. Loading complete. Page has 7 regions, 11 headings, and 24 links. Check out Mystic... Oh wow, the page only has 24 links. That's cool. So I'm going to go to the top of the page. Check out Mystic Access. And I'm going to down arrow. Same page link skip to content. Visited link graphic mystic access. Main region. Heading level 1 checkout. Step 3 of 3. And we're on step 3 of 3. List of 3 items. Visited link 1. Shopping cart. Visited link 2. Checkout. 3. Order completed. List end. Heading level 2 checkout. Empty cart button. There's our empty cart button in case we want to bail at the last minute. Got a gift card from a loved one? Link use it here. Heading level 2 express checkout. Or... Heading level 2 contact. Heading level 3. Heading level 3 my contact. Chris at mysticaccess.com. That's the email address. Change. My contact button. I could change it like we tried to do earlier. Heading level 2 billing. Heading level 3. Heading level 3 billing to Christopher Nova. And when I down arrow, it's going to show my address or your address and all that stuff. So we're going to skip by that rather quickly. Apt 1. 7. Change. Billing to button. So you could change your billing to. So if your billing stuff has changed, you can do that. You're not in any edit boxes. You don't have to tab through. At this point, 
and heading level three heading level three additional notes none there's no additional notes change additional notes button i could change additional notes if you remember before it was add additional notes but because i am an existing customer i guess you change your additional notes but there are none heading level two payment and here's payment add coupon code button you can add the coupon code heading level three payment method here's payment method list of three items credit card stripe radio button checked what credit card stripe pay with your credit card via stripe card number star to get missing image descriptions credit or debit card number edit 1230 and of course i can enter my credit card information if i skip past this x credit edit card code credit or edit cvc save payment information to my account for future purchases paypal radio button not checked two of three and here's paypal and there's also check payments so i'm going to go down even further paypal check pay check pay list end your personal data will be used to process your order support your experience throughout this website and for other purposes described in our link privacy policy i have read and agreed to the website terms and conditions star checkbox not checked there's your required checkbox for the privacy policy and terms of service i have read and agreed to the link terms and star i want to receive updates about products and promotions i want to receive updates about products and promotions place order button and there's your place order button and i'm going to down arrow Heading level three order summary. And here's our order summary again to what we saw earlier. And again, if I continue down past here, the only thing that we're going to see is the cookie banner. And I'm going to find the empty cart button because I don't want to buy this because I already own it. Empty cart button. And press enter. Enter. Loading page. Check out Mystic X. And I have just Loading complete. the cart and removed to the cart page. So that's kind of a whirlwind demonstration of how the new checkout process works. We had two people that we know of used it, didn't realize that it was new. But when I pointed out that it was new, they both said they absolutely loved it. One said that it was absolutely not cluttered, which it no longer is. So we hope this will make your shopping experience much easier and more enjoyable. Speaking of shopping, let's now head into the castle to meet our guest and discuss the things that you can shop for from this highly creative individual. We had a great time learning from Ray and we know you will enjoy hearing what he had to share as well. So here we go into the castle. Welcome to the Mystic Access Magic Castle. So welcome to this edition of the Magic Castle, everybody. We are here in the castle with a guest who hasn't been here before, but hopefully our castle is to his taste and he's enjoying hanging out with us, found himself some nice cozy seating, and we are really delighted to have Ray Wright with us today. Ray has a really interesting passion that some of you may not have thought of for someone with sight loss. However, you will soon learn that Ray has a wealth of information that he can share about what he does. He is a woodworker, and he has a tremendous amount of information and things that he makes, handcrafts for people. I was interested in having Ray on for a while, and recently an opportunity came up, and I got to hear him speak for at least the second time, possibly the third. And I said, you know, I'm just going to contact him, and we're going to set this up. And he was happy to come on and talk to all of us, so we're pleased to introduce Ray to our audience. So, Ray, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity, and 
I'm a big fan of your podcast, so this is really awesome to be on here. Oh, we appreciate that. And the rule is you got to listen to yourself at least five times. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to follow that rule. (laughs) You might be able to talk right into it. I don't know if you can talk me into it. That's a lot of having to listen to ourselves. I guarantee you three. (laughs) All right, three. Okay, good deal. That's as good a compromise as you're going to get there. So three is good. Cool. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to your passion for woodworking. Well, I'm totally blind. I have retinitis pigmentosa and I was diagnosed with it by accident when I was 22 years old. So I kind of grew up fully sighted. Apparently I had RP before I was diagnosed with it, but didn't know it. Just thought I was a little clumsy. But when I was diagnosed with it, I just thought, okay, well, I just can't see off to the sides too well. So no big deal. So I just continued in my career. I worked in the movie theater and did promotions and publicity and was a legally blind company photographer. And anyway, my RP kept getting worse and worse. And so when it got bad enough that I couldn't work in the theater anymore, I was really smart and switched to learning graphic design. So I wouldn't have to walking around in the dark so much in the dark theaters and that so I yeah took graphic design learned photoshop and freehand and illustrator and all the graphic programs and then I went totally blind and so I've always been artistic and you know photography was my hobby I turned that into a career so I went to the blind center in California I lived in LA at the time So I got hooked up with vocational rehab and went to the orientation center for the blind up in the Bay Area, Northern California. And there, you know, I learned Braille, how to use a cane, use the assistive technology, which I really loved a lot, and cooking and cleaning and all that stuff. And they had a wood shop there. So that was kind of interesting. My dad was a woodworker. Although I never really had any interest in it, I grew up around the tools and that, so I knew what they were. So I couldn't wait to see what special tools they had for the blind. And when I walked into the wood shop, I said, oh, show me the special tools. And so they showed me a click rule, which is used for measuring. And he goes, that's it. And I said, what about the special saws and the special drills? And he said, no, we just use just off-the-shelf stuff like anyone else would use. And that surprised me. So I took the woodshop class and liked it and thought it was interesting, and that was great. And then never really did anything with it after leaving the Blind Center. Then I moved here to Utah. I live in Sandy, Utah, just south of Salt Lake City now. And I didn't understand my way around Salt Lake City because... In California, we have names for street. Here, everything is a number. It's 13th East and 82 South and things like that. So I went to the Blind Center here to find out if I could get some orientation. I had the mobility skills. I just didn't understand my way around. And at the time, you had to take all the classes. It was all or nothing. I said, I just want some O&M. And they said, no, you have to take everything. So I signed up for the full course again and took more computers, which was great because technology changes all the time. And it then it hurt me to bone up on my Braille skills. And 
home management was fun because, you know, it was always nice to learn how to cook something different. And they had wood shop at the center as well. Well, this time the shop teacher was, he was blind and he gave you a rough board and said, okay, we're going to turn this into whatever specific item we were making. And so I thought, okay, this is great. I was learning more advanced stuff and I really like that. But they had a lathe at the shop, which I had never used before. And I fell in love with this machine. It kind of let me unrelease or re- yeah, unrelease my creative side that I had missed, you know, from kind of being artistic and creative in the visual world with photography and graphic design. This was an awesome way to tactily be able to be creative, to feel what you were doing as you were doing it. Sort of like a potter when he's throwing a pot, making things out of clay. But this was wood, and I love the smell of wood. I love smelling the different species and the different scents from it. Most of them smell really nice. There's a few that really stink. But anyway, so I fell in love with the lathe. I made the couple of projects. And then they said, well, that's, you've used your allotment of wood and that's all you could do. So I wanted to learn more with the lathe. So I decided after I left the center, my training was over. I went and inquired at the local community college about taking wood shop and focusing on the lathe. And oh, how should I say the wood shop teacher there at the time I tried to call to make an appointment to get a tour of the shop. And when I finally did get a hold of him after leaving lots of messages, he basically said, whenever you're available, I'm busy. So I knew that I wasn't going to learn from him. And I thought, well, you know, I could fight and advocate and get into the class. But if the teacher isn't really interested, you're not going to learn that much. So I called around different places and I found there's a store about 30 miles south of me called Craft Supply USA. And I called them up and I asked if I could take their classes. And the lady on the phone, she said, well, you know, we teach, we do a lecture in the morning and the instructor demonstrates what he's doing and there's video screens and people take notes. And then in the afternoon, they go to the lab and work on the lathe. And she said, I don't think this video thing is going to work for you. And I thought, okay, here I am getting the brush off again. But she said, but let me, let me get back to you in a couple of weeks. So she called back about two weeks later and she says, I've talked to the different instructors and I have one instructor, if you're willing, that is willing in his off week or his off time when they don't have classes to teach you hands-on, just one-on-one. Would you be willing to do that? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, sign me up. So I took that class and the instructor, his name is Kirk Deheer, he was just so wonderful and willing and patient and that and really taught me the art of wood turning. And so after taking the class, I decided to turn this into a career. So I worked with rehab and that to do a business plan and, you know, start my own small business. And then 
just as that was getting finalized, I got a call from the blind center saying the former shop teacher was moving out. Would I fill in part-time until they could hire a full-time teacher? And I said, yeah, sure, I could do that. It'd be about four or five weeks. And anyway, I started teaching the class and fell in love with teaching. I just it was just such a great way to pay it forward and that and my very first day i had a student who was using a hand miter saw and i showed her how to do it and explained all the safety rules and everything and she started cutting and everything was going good and so i walked away to check on another student and then all of a sudden there was this squeal and I thought, oh my gosh, my first day and something's happened. You know, this isn't going to last long. So I ran over to her and I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm great. I cut my own piece of wood by myself for the very first time ever using a saw. Nice. And nice. that just sold me. So I decided to apply for the full-time job and was lucky enough to get it. But at the same time, I also didn't want to give up my love for the lathe and that. So I keep doing my wood turning business. And I generally do shows at like the local Christmas boutiques and whatever is going on, gun shows and craft fairs. And the big one I do is the Salt Lake Fanex Comic Convention. I do that. And that's a lot of fun. So, yeah. I do have a question. Going back to the smelling of the wood types, and I know nothing about wood, and Kim does. So Kim has kind of a background from her family. She has background uh -huh. in wood. So my question is, can you actually tell the type of wood just by smelling it? So if I gave you a piece of wood, would you be able to tell what it is? Maybe some? Uh, some woods you can. Generally, I can tell better when you cut it. Mm -hmm. And when it's cutting, then you can smell it. Or when you're turning it on the lathe, you can smell it more than just holding a piece of wood, depending on how wet or dry it is or but that's whatever. Actually, that's actually fascinating, too, that even cutting it. I mean, if there's a way to get in and find out what it is, if you have to cut it, you have to cut it. But that's really cool. Some of them you can yeah. tell in the woods just as you pass them by. <laughs> See, I told you, I don't yeah. have any background in this. You guys are talking wood, and I'm just like... <laughs> well, like cedar, you yes. know, is a common one that has a really good smell to it. But you get some woods like bloodwood. It has sort of a cinnamony smell to it. Or paduk has sort of a floral smell to it. And I love olive. Olive wood just has this really sweet... Well, smell of olives mm. to it. And sarsaparilla actually does sort of smell like root beer. So, yeah. And then, you know, you get some woods that, you know, just kind of, yeah, you know what it is because it stinks and I try to avoid using them. Right. Cocobolo has a really nice smell. One thing I love about wood turning as opposed to doing flat work, and flat work is more like bookcases and tables and, you know, chests and things like that, dressers and furniture. Wood turning, you get to use a lot of different species, a lot of domestic woods, which are woods found in the United States, and then a lot of exotic woods that are outside of the United States. And some wood is 
rare, very expensive. So with wood turning, you can afford to buy a little bit of it and turn something beautiful out of it. So for those who um, don't know and who have never seen one or don't really know about what it's like, tell people what a lathe is, how it works. Okay, so a lathe is a piece of equipment that comes in different sizes. You can get a micro lathe that's maybe 18 inches long, all the way up to a full-size lathe that can be five or six feet long. And uh, about a full-size lathe is roughly about four feet high and six feet long. So there's Two different types of lathe work, basically. There's spindle turning and bowl turning. So spindle turning, you have two points on the lathe, and you put a long piece of wood in between the two points, and there's a motor on one point called the drive center, and you turn the lathe on, and the wood spins in your direction anywhere from 50 to... 3,500 revolutions per minute. Wow. And then you have lathe tools, which are different chisels that you hold in front of the wood on a tool rest, and you push the tool into the wood, and it will, depending on how hard you push it and which way you push it and how you turn it and that, it'll do different profiles of a wood. So a good example of spindle turning is a table leg or a chair rail or a balustrade, the posts that go up holding the handrail up on a staircase, something like that. A very common spindle wood thing is a baseball bat. Mm. Baseball bats are made on the lathe. So, And then bowl turning is a little bit different where you mount the block of wood just on one end on the lathe and then you turn it to the profile, the outside profile, and then you have it spinning with the lathe tool, and then you hollow out the inside of the piece of wood to create the bowl shape. Is that absolutely pretty good description? No, I think that's a great description. It's really useful for people who have never had the chance to get to play with some of this stuff, and I've never really worked with a lathe, so I find it really interesting to learn more about how that works. I'm curious, just from a mindset perspective, or maybe just in general, do you get into a different feeling doing handwork with hand tools versus with the lathe? Is it a different experience? I mean, does it seem, I don't even know what I'm really asking, but do you feel like it's a different mindset in terms of what you're, is one more like meditative than another, or do they kind of each have their own mood? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. There is something about the lathe that I love. So most other tools you have your piece of wood and you take the wood to the blade. Like if you're using a table saw, the saw spinning, the blade is stationary and you're pushing a piece of wood through the blade. With the lathe, it's opposite. You will have the wood spinning and you're in control of the blade and you push that into the wood. So I actually do find the lathe very relaxing and that and you get instant feedback because as you're pushing the wood in, you wear a face shield, you know, safety's number one. So I have a face shield that covers my face all the way from above my forehead, all the way down past my chin in case anything should fly off. And the shavings 
that do come off go flying and they hit your hand and you can get that tactile feedback of how much is coming off by how much it's hitting your hand and also by the sound, whether it's a smooth cut or a rough cut or whatever. And it's also, I do this thing with using the lathe when the wood, especially when it's rough, you don't want to be touching the wood as it's spinning. So I always, how do I describe it? It's what I call the wood turner's waltz. So where I hold the tool on the tool rest and that, I plant my feet and I use my whole body to go side by side or rotate my hips and my shoulders. And so it's kind of like I'm dancing with the tool and the wood at the same time. And as you're creating a certain profile, you get a, what's the word? You kind of develop this, like dancing with a partner where you kind of get into this rhythm of motion and that, and you learn if I, you're kind of like leading like you do in ballroom dancing where you lean one way or the other. And if your feet are planted and your shoulders are square and parallel, and you just lean to the right, keeping your shoulders parallel to the wood, you'll get a straight cut. But if you twist your shoulder a little bit, then you'll get more of a curved cut. And if you go back to where your feet are planted square and you don't have your pressure on one foot more than another, you go back to that position. So it really is kind of a rhythmic dance with the tool and the wood to create. And the whole combination of hearing the sound of how much you're cutting, smelling the wood being cut, and feeling the wood, the shavings hitting your hands and that it, I don't know, to me, it is kind of like a meditation. And then when you're done with the profile, and then when you sand, you also sand on the lathe. And that's where you're holding the sandpaper with your hands and you're touching the wood as it's spinning at about 500 RPMs. And you don't want to go too fast or otherwise the uh, sandpaper will skip off the wood, kind of like if you throw a stone in the water and, you know, if you do it slow or just throw it in the water, it'll sink. But if you throw it fast and get it at the right angle, it'll skip off the surface Mm -hmm. of the water. So, yeah, I find it almost therapeutic. There's some times where if I've had a bad day, I'll just go on the lathe and start to turn a pen or have some project that I'm already working on and start to sand it. And it (laughs) helps me relax, even though people kind of think, that sounds kind of crazy. You're taking, you know, you're blind and you can't see what you're doing and you're taking a sharp tool to a hard piece of wood and you find that relaxing, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that description. It's a beautiful description of kind of how you and the wood work together to kind of create that piece. You know, you have to have it and it has to be doing its thing right and you have to be working it right and cutting it right and then it becomes this beautiful thing. So. Exactly. And I have in my mind sort of an idea of what I want the shape to look like. But as you're doing it, it may not feel right or you might encounter a knot or a defect in the wood that I wasn't aware of. Maybe if I could see, I would have seen it or maybe it was buried inside the wood. And as you peel away the layers of it, you find it. And sometimes that actually adds to the project, you can enhance it or make it more prominent. 
to make it a center point of your piece. And other times you're like, no, I don't like that. I'll dig it out further. And that makes a different design. And you come up with something better than you had in your mind's eye to begin with. Yeah, I understand that. I was always the kid who picked up rocks and thought they were cool. And sometimes those little cool things on a rock are just like cool things with wood. They really add to the character of it. You never forget this one. Oh, this is a piece of rose quartz. And I remember this one because it's got this crack right here in the side. And, you know, it's nice to... Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. I... I remember I entered one of my turnings into a gallery contest, and we had to, whatever was in the gallery and that had to be available for sale. And the person that was there, I had kind of this, they call it a inclusion in there, which was basically sort of a knot hole and a piece of bark. And apparently it looked really beautiful. I could feel it. And I thought, yeah, this is kind of neat. And so when she was, I was saying, what price should it be? And she said, oh, with that inclusion in there and the way you went around it and that, I think that would add an extra extra 20% to your piece. And I said, oh, okay. So <laughs> sometimes those abnormalities or whatever can add to it. And it shows that it's real wood. It's not you know, plastic or something that's just been, you know, done in a factory and because everything is all, you know, handmade. So no two are alike, even when you tried to duplicate something. And, and it's kind of interesting when I was taking one of the projects I had to make in my classic craft supply was a three-legged stool and you turn the top seat and then you had to turn the three legs and you turn the one leg And then you had to match the other two as close as you could so they all looked the same. When you held them all together before you put them into the seat, they looked a little bit different, pretty close, but a little bit off. But when you put them on the stool, you couldn't tell the difference. And then, you know, the teacher said, here, I have something to show you. So their ballot, their staircase going upstairs has, oh, I don't know, maybe two dozen balustrades in it and they had different people make each one they gave them the original and said here match this Mm. and every single one of those was different (laughs) but they say visually when you look at it they all look identical but when you touch them you can tell they're all different so it's almost like an optical illusion how your mind looks at one thing and just fills in the rest to think that they're all the same Wow. I found that pretty interesting. That's really interesting. When I was a child, I went to Boston with my mother, and I took a tour of the Paul Revere house, and I was able to see one of those three-legged stools. It was really cool. Yeah, actually, I've been in Paul Revere's house in Boston, and yeah, it was at the time, I just thought, oh yeah, this is cool. Now I'd you know, love to go back there and say, hey, can I touch that stuff? Again? <laughs> but... I mean, when, I was, when I was younger, I was able to touch all that stuff because the caretaker at the time was like, this must not be fun for you, you know, just reading all about it. So she actually took me behind the bars and I was able to check out this stuff. I mean, I was 10 years old or 12 years old at the time. So it was really fun to do that. And it's even more fun now to tell people that I've done it. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, and chances are, I know Paul Revere was a 
silversmith in that, but chances are some of the stuff you touched, he's the one that <laughs> touched it too. So that's, that is way cool. Well, we were doing our wedding at the Carson house and she was also another one who gave us the hands-on tour, if you will. And she handed me a wooden cane that Andrew Jackson gave to them. And they were, and I dropped this cane and tell you, it was <laughs> one of those things that I'm like, oh my God, I just dropped this like priceless artifact type of thing. Cause you, know, you can't get another one of them. But I mean, that was fun too, to get, to touch that, all that. Yeah, no, I, I love it when they'll make exceptions and pull the ropes or let you touch things that you normally wouldn't be allowed to touch and absolutely and that to really give you that experience yes and now we can say we got married there and then we also got to actually touch all the stuff there so it's so cool that yeah no that's that's really neat because and you know when i could see and i would go to places it would be interesting that you'd look at stuff and you know it was all no touch and yeah it was pretty and that but to be able to touch an item and actually check it out and i'm notorious nowadays i was up at our state capitol one day and i you know they said have a seat and i wasn't just sitting there i was reaching down touching the chair legs and there was a little table beside and next thing you know i'm on my knees (laughs) feeling the legs and underneath to see how the construction of it went. Right. <laughs> but there was years ago, I could see a little bit back then, I went on a tour of Buckingham Palace in London, oh. and they had this one particular table was, it was a, oh, I don't know, about four foot in diameter, very, very impressively engraved around the edges and the legs. It was a pedestal table and it was all gilted. It was all gold. Oh. And just looking at the detail in that, they wouldn't let me touch it, but they said, no, it's old. But I could see well enough after looking, and with the RP as tunnel vision, so you know I couldn't see everything all at the same time. Well, then I looked up, and above the fireplace, just off to the side where this table was, there was a big portrait of King George III standing in front of that very table. Whoa, <laughs> and, that's cool. Yeah, so I thought, well, I guess they let him touch it, but not me. But <laughs> but then again, I don't know now with, you know, at the time I could see a bit. So I had my camera around my neck and all of that. So I had the feeling they really didn't believe I couldn't, you know, I was legally blind. So <laughs> I wonder if they would let you now. Hmm, have to find out. Yeah. Next time I go to London, I went to London, but I've not been to Buckingham Palace, so that'll have to be on my next trip. But it was a great experience. It was fun. Yeah, it was. I actually went the first year they opened it up to the public. And oh, wow. uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing to go in there and see the chairs the Queen and Prince Philip would sit in, you know, when they get the royal portraits and all that kind of stuff. It really does exist. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but no, I love touching things whenever I go to a museum or any place, really, I'll ask, can I touch this or touch that or whatever? And squeaky wheel gets the grease. So a lot of places will let you do it if you ask, but if they don't ask, they can't read your mind. So I went to Alcatraz in 2003 and 
I was able to go up into the hospital wing, which you weren't allowed to do. So I had a security guard with me and I was able to go up into the hospital wing and see some of that stuff. And I went into the Birdman cell, which is like one of the creepiest places you'd ever want to go in because even though it wasn't used in obviously years and years and years, but you go in there and you're like, please don't let this door close behind me because it's just the feeling that you got was just the weirdest feeling and maybe you felt a little closed in or whatever, but yeah, I was able to go into that cell and it was fun. That's one of the things I'll always remember from that specific time. Well, and that's, you know, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is when you go to places and you get to do something that generally the regular public can't do, It's the feeling you get, like you said, of being able to almost put yourself in the person's shoes or back in that time period or whatever and kind of immerse yourself in it. You know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like when you read a book, you know, you picture in your mind's eye what the character looks like and what the settings are like and that kind of thing. And then when, you know, they make a movie off the book, you know, you'll hear people say, no, that's the wrong actor. That's mm-hmm. not what it's supposed to look like. Well, everybody has their own interpretation in their mind's eye of what something looks like in a book. But to be able to go and touch the items and that, it just gives you that much more of a feel of what the author was looking for. So, Absolutely. So. Then yeah. sometimes you talk to the author of the book and they would go, I would never have cast that person as this person, but okay, you know. <laughs> I was talking. I went to a Star Wars convention a few years ago, and I was talking to Tim Zahn, who did the Heir to the Empire series, and it was a trilogy back, basically uh. launched the expanded universe. And I said, I listened to the abridged version, and they totally abridged this one plot point. And Tim Zahn was like, Yeah. And not having that, that was one of the more important plot points of the entire book, and they just cut it out. So Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, I know we're getting off on a tangent, but I, I, uh, I can imagine, I hate abridged books. So do I. I oh, sometimes would rather not read it if it's abridged, because for whatever reason, they take out, like you said, I remember my dad worked at Universal Studios, so as a kid, I would, growing up, I would go on to the different sets, and then when I got older, I'd drive down and go visit him and see what they were working on in that. But I remember reading Jurassic Park and then going down on the set of Jurassic Park and (laughs) seeing that, and I couldn't wait until the movie came out because there was the one scene where the dinosaur, the T-Rex, was going to be. They were hiding behind the waterfall and the water was coming down and the T-Rex was, their lights were going and the T-Rex was going to poke his head through the waterfall trying to grab him. And I thought, oh man, that's going to be the best scene in the movie. And when I saw the movie, it wasn't in the movie. Right. And I was like, oh, this is a horrible movie (laughs) because my favorite scene in the book (laughs) wasn't in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, and they didn't kill Hammond in the movie. They killed him in the book. And spoiler alert for those who didn't read it. <laughs> those who have never seen this after 30 years. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. But I guess they knew what they were doing because it, you know, made a gazillion dollars. Exactly. And, and a gazillion sequels. Sponsored, 
Yeah, exactly. I was going to say all the sequels that have come from it and that. So, yeah, Spielberg knew what he was doing there. Yeah, so True. I want to get into specifically what you do. But before that, let's have one other wood discussion, which I think people would find fascinating. And maybe people have heard this and maybe some haven't. I don't know how much you'd have to be around wood to hear these terms. But for those who haven't heard them, what is the difference in a hardwood and a softwood? Oh, that's a great question. So generally, a hardwood is a tree that has leaves on it, and a softwood is a tree that has needles on it. So a pine tree, a fir tree, you know, a Christmas tree, those are softwoods. If it's anything with a leaf, like an oak tree or a maple or walnut or anything like that, those are hardwoods. Although, now this can be where it gets confusing, a hardwood can be softer than a softwood. (laughs) So, for instance, balsa, which is a very light wood that when I was a kid, we used to make airplanes out of balsa wood and gliders and that kind of thing. It's so soft, you can stick your fingernail down in the wood and you could actually carve the wood with the fingernail if you wanted to. It's very soft, but that is considered a hardwood because it has leaves. So, And that's generally on the lathe. You can turn softwood, but you really, hardwoods are better. And your common hardwoods are domestics or walnut, maple, oak, cherry. Those are the main ones. And fruitwoods. And when I say a fruitwood, I mean any wood that comes from a fruit tree. So apricot, apple, peach, plum, any Thing like that, that is really beautiful wood, but it's not used generally because they trees produce fruit and it's more important to get the fruit off the tree than the wood itself. The only exceptions that I can think of really are walnut and cherry. Those are fruit trees because they produce, well, walnuts, I guess. I don't know if walnuts are a fruit or not, but it produces the nuts, something they eat, and of course the cherries in that. So those are used common in furniture and building and that, but most others are not. So what are your preferences? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a preference in terms of some favorites that you like to work best? Oh, yeah. My favorite wood overall, I would say, is walnut. I just love the smell of it when you're cutting it or turning it. I love the, it's a hardwood, but it's pretty easy to work. It's got a nice grain pattern to it. And walnut is a dark wood. I always tell my students that walnut is about the color of milk chocolate with the dark chocolate grain in it. Mm. And grain in the wood is a pattern that grows up. It's almost like the veins in your body. So when a tree grows, you know, it grows vertically and the grain are sort of like the straws that suck the water from the roots up into the tree. And then the other part of the tree that's not the grain is more like your muscle. And then the bark is like your skin on the outside of the tree. So the center of the tree is called the heart or is known as heartwood. And then the newer part of the tree, because the tree grows from the, you know, starts small and as it grows out, the part that's next to the bark is called sapwood, and that's generally lighter in color. So, yeah, I, I don't know why I always associate things with food, but walnut is milk chocolate with a dark chocolate grain, 
Maple is like a cream-colored wood with a maple or a caramel-colored grain. Bloodwood is like a dark reddish wood with a darker, almost a purplish-black grain to it. Purple heart is a purplish brownish wood that has very what's called tight grain where it's all the grain is very close together so it's not doesn't really show much of a pattern it's more plain looking so yeah but walnut's my favorite and then there's some that I hate ebony which is a dark black solid black wood that's what piano keys used to be made out of the black piano keys so when you know like the song ebony and ivory mm-hmm. that's talking about the white keys were made out of ivory and then the dark keys were made out of ebony and that is a very brittle wood you have to be very careful with it because if you push in the chisel too hard or whatever it's a beautiful wood when it's finished but it's brittle it can split out on you and flake off in that cocobolo i love it's got a very it's kind of a dark grain kind of like the milk chocolate grain with a lighter vanilla almost color to it or a light tan color and it's just it's an oily wood so when you turn it you get the smell from it but it also almost is like putting a lanolin lotion on your hands when it's spinning on the lathe and you're touching it or you're getting the shavings on your hands and that so it's kind of interesting for being a woodworker my hands are very soft and not calloused like you would think because of the different oils and that in the woods which is very handy because that way I don't have to worry about calluses for reading Braille on the ends of my fingers. There you go. You can go turn a piece and you can come back in and read your favorite book. Yep, exactly. (laughs) So now that everybody's gotten a brief education in wood and what the different type of woods are like, tell us about some of the categories of woodwork that you do. We know you offer a bunch of different items and you can start kind of anywhere you want really. Okay, well, I turned a variety of different items. Most things I do are on the lathe. So I'll do bowls and vases and lamps and things like that. But what I prefer to do, well, I like to do bowls and that, but writing pens, ballpoint pens, rollerball pens are one of my favorite things because there's such a variety of pens that you can get in different styles and designs. So if you have a particular interest, if you're a dog lover, there's a dog pen that has a dog bowl for the top of the pen and a bone for the clip. And it's got paw prints going around the center band and down at the nib. And then the wood I use on that, you know, is generally depends on the customer or the color, whether it be a color of the metal parts whether it be gold or an antique brass or a antique pewter or a chrome or a gunmetal, different colors like that. There's a cat lover's pen, and the cat lover's has a cat sitting in a basket at the top, and the tail is hanging out of the basket and is flopping down to form the clip on the pen, <laughs> the pocket clip, and then it's got some paw prints around it. And that if you're a sports lover, there's a football pen that has a little miniature football stadium at the top and then a football helmet and a football on the clip and 
there's a baseball lover's pen that has a baseball bat for the clip and a baseball diamond up at the top of it and a baseball down near the nib down near the end. There's, if you're a gun lover, there's, I make pens out of 30 caliber and 50 caliber casings. And there's bolt action pens that you have a little bolt action, like on a rifle that when you slide the bolt forward, the ink comes out to write with. And then when you slide the bolt back, the ink retracts back in up inside of the pen. Those are really popular. There's a dragon pen that has a like a tiger's eye stone on the top of it. And then it's got a dragon on the clip. And then the center band is like a dragon's claw holding the center of the pen and there's scale on it. And that there's just hundreds of pens that different styles. So if anyone has a specific interest or whatever, it's more or less best just to ask. I like to do Keychains, one of my popular ones this year has been a secret compartment keychain that is about three inches long and has a key ring on it. And I turn the wood to different contours and that, so it's very tactile by feel. In fact, in my pocket, I have my house key on one key ring and I have my office keys on another. And I can just reach into my pocket and feel the different keychain and know which one is which just by feeling it. But the secret compartment keychain, what's kind of neat about that is you unscrew the top cap of it and there's a little cylinder inside, brass cylinder, that you can put extra medicine in. You could put matchsticks. You could put toothpicks. I know some quilters that put in their quilting needles in to hold it. And the cap has a rubber O-ring, so when you tighten it up, it makes it water-safe, moisture, stop moisture from getting inside. So those are very popular. I do seam rippers, a variety of different seam rippers. I have the seam rippers I like to do. I turn the handle, and then you can take the seam, instead of just being a cap on top of the seam ripper like you get in the store, This, you take the blade and turn it around and reverse it into the handle so you don't have to worry about losing the cap or, you know, poking yourself with it and that. And then something that I've just introduced is a seam ripper necklace because my sister, who's a sewer, who can see, would always forget where she put her seam ripper. It would roll away or she'd set it somewhere. So this necklace hangs around your neck and the seam ripper is on it, and you can reverse the blade into the handle. So if you're wearing it, you don't have to worry about poking yourself. And if you're using it, you have the blade exposed, but you can pull it off the necklace because the end of the seam ripper has a magnet on it. So you can pull it off the necklace, use it, and then stick it back up on your necklace. So it's always around your neck, and you don't have to worry about losing it. I do wooden spinning tops, little tops that used to play with when I was a kid and that. So those are kind of a fun little toy. I do ice cream scoops and bottle openers where I turn the handle and pizza cutters with the wooden handle. And a lot of people like to order those. And if it's custom, some people with arthritis or don't have a very strong grip, I can make the handle a bit wider than what you would find in the store, a little bit longer, more stout, and that. And what I do for Comic-Con, you know, we were talking about Star Wars and that earlier, 
I turn a little lightsaber handle so it feels more like a lightsaber. And those are real popular because it's a lightsaber handle with an ice cream scoop on the end of it. So I, I call it my saber scoop. And I put a, it's kind of a decorative button on it to look like the little button to turn your saber on and off with. <laughs> but it's also a very good adaptive reason too. Is so I line the button up with the opening of the scoop. So when you're picking up the scoop, you don't have to touch the actual scoop itself to see which way it's facing. You can just feel the button on the handle and then that way, you know, which way to scoop it. And I do the same thing with the pizza cutter and the bottle opener. And speaking of bottles, I do wine bottle stoppers. So if you've got a bottle of wine or salad dressing or anything that has a glass bottle with a narrow neck on it, and that these I make out of stainless steel with silicon seals, and then I turn the top of it to whatever profile I choose. Kind of the wood tells me which way to go with it and that, and they're great. So if you have a bottle of wine that you don't finish, you can put the stopper in here and you can put it in your refrigerator and lay it down and it won't pop out. And, you know, once you use a corkscrew, which by the way, I also make, a corkscrew, a metal corkscrew with the wooden handle, you pop that cork out and it's, you know, it's not really that good to put back in. It won't seal properly. So these bottle stoppers are very popular. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, pepper mills. I do pepper and salt mills. So if you like fresh ground pepper or salt or even any other kind of vices, I'll turn a pepper mill that are usually about... mm, two and a half or three inches in diameter and can be whatever length high you would like. And so you have your fresh ground pepper and those are really nice and fun to make and different shapes and profiles and different species of wood. A lot of times for what I like to said I have, I've turned them and the pepper mill is made out of walnut, which is a dark wood like pepper's dark. And then I turn a salt mill out of maple, which is a lighter wood. And the ones I have have the same profile, but also the maple is shorter, so I can tell by height. Or I might turn a different top to it, so tactilely you can just touch it right away, and they might be the same height, but have a different feel. Or they can alter it any which way you want. So yeah, I'm just kind of running through. I Oh, I do a whistle. A little keychain whistle that I know I've had people like them for cane identifiers. So you can tie them to the end of your cane and they're on a key ring. And there's a little whistle that lets out a really shrill whistle, like if you have an emergency or something like that. So, yeah, anyway, just if you, you know, give me a call or email me or something. And if you want to know or have any ideas or something. I've had a request, I haven't made one yet, but for a yarn bowl that you can put a ball of yarn in. So it, as you pull the string out or the yarn out, it tumbles around in that. I'm oh, interesting. working on that. So Very cool. I do custom orders. So if there's anything you can think of or whatever, you can you know contact me and see if I can do it or not. Fantastic. You've got a large variety of items available, and as you said, the custom option is available to at least discuss with you and see if there's a possibility. 
So if somebody wants to do that or learn more or get in touch with you, how would they go about that? Well, you can contact me, my email address. My company name is Right Turn Only. My last name is Right with a W. So rightturnonly at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-G-H-T-T-U-R-N-O-N-L-Y at gmail.com. Or I do have a website that has a few pictures on it. I'm hoping to develop it better. And that's rightturnonly.com, www.w-r-i-g-h-t-t-u-r-n-o-n-l-y.com. And I can give out my phone number. You can text me or leave a voicemail at area code 801 560 9866. And yeah, send me a text or email me or whatever, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. And I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. It's been fascinating and so enjoyable. And we really appreciate you coming on and sharing. And hopefully, a lot of people will jump on board and say, Hey, I've got something cool I want to have made. So definitely get in touch with Ray, guys, if you're interested. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Kim. And again, you know, things I make are year-round stuff. Great for Christmas presents, wedding presents, or just to gift yourself for something. So thank you again. This is awesome. Awesome. Thank you for your visit to the Mystic Access Magic Castle. You're welcome anytime. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we want to wish you a happy new year. And our next podcast episode will come pretty quickly. It's just a little treat, but it's going to be short and sweet. See you next year, guys. Bye. Bye. The preceding podcast is a presentation of Mystic Access, where the magic is in learning. If you are blind or visually impaired and desire to discover how our comprehensive products and services may support and empower your assistive technology journey, we welcome your visit at www.mysticaccess.com. Have a question or wish to place an order via phone? Call us at 716-543-3323. If you have something to share about this podcast episode, press 4 to reach our Mystic Access podcast comment line. Email us at info at mysticaccess.com. Connect with us on Twitter at twitter.com slash mysticaccess and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mysticaccessempower. Would you like to spread the word about our podcasts? Your friends and colleagues may listen and subscribe at www.mysticaccesspodcast.com. If you enjoy our episodes, consider leaving us an iTunes rating and review. Your comments are greatly appreciated. Thanks for spreading the word, and thanks for being a listener. We hope you enjoyed this episode.